the city has been upside down in terms of right track, wrong track for two years now. Is there a personality type that you think is better suited for handling the job? Somebody has to have the guts to do things that aren't particularly popular to answer some of the problems that we're facing. And, and to be able to sell it. What I'm sensing is that a lot of these candidates are out of touch with what's really going on in people's day-to-day -day lives. Like, what are we going to do? We're going to fight like hell or we're going to get shit done. Business has to get done. And are we doing that? When you see something that is not right, not fair, not just, you have to do something. Welcome to Pod Bless Nashville. My name is Braden Gall. My name is Jamie Holland. My name is Steve Cavendish. That's our first forum on the pod. We do appreciate you, Steve, for joining us. We are going to cover the mayoral race today ad nauseum. 99 We're... forums to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of which Steve is a part of 78 of them uh, is what he's doing. So we're going to try to dissect every major candidate on the program today, sort of their strengths and weaknesses, give everybody a primer, as it were, uh, on the show today. We're not going to endorse anybody. We're not telling you who to vote for. We just want to tell you the information about each one of these candidates, where we're at in this race uh, a few months, a month and a half, and some change out from August 3rd, of course, the election date. Sure to be a runoff. Please follow everybody uh, on the socials. You got at S. Cavendish. Jamie, do you want to tell anybody about your Twitter account or no? Don't follow me on Elon Sewer. Okay. At Braden Gall, uh, of course, at Pod Bless Nashville on Twitter and Instagram as well. Steve, before we get into all the candidates and we start breaking down all these names and the races and the polling and all the fun stuff that's going into this election, where should people sign up for daily election coverage? NashvilleBanner.com. We're sending out daily election emails. Uh, it can be everything from council race previews to the at-large races to, to mayor's race uh, coverage. We're doing... Every, every Monday up until early voting, we've got issue stories, looking at kind of the big issues within, within the race. And then we're very specifically asking questions to the main mayoral candidates about where they, where they are on those issues. So it's a good primer for you uh, if you're interested, like for in the last couple of weeks, for instance, in education or transit, or next week we'll have a, we'll have a primer on homelessness and kind of how the candidates view homeless policy here in Nashville. Steve, is this the lowest information race for mayor that you've ever experienced? It's it's down there. I think that's a function of energy, and it's oh low energy candidates. Uh, well, not Ooh. low energy candidates, but it's a function of I, I think the electorate is late coming to it because everybody was geared up for John Cooper to run for re-election, and then when he got out, everything got scrambled. And so candidates took a long, hard look at their lives, and voters have not yet had the chance to spend significant amount of time with some of these candidates. Maybe people are tired from being on the constant outrage machine. Uh, maybe so. Grievance. Maybe so. Grievance, grievance, grievance. Uh, so we'll get into each candidate, but I wanted to ask you a couple of questions to both of you guys, sort of the state of the race in general. And that was, frankly, one of them, which is, is this the lowest information situation we've been in? I. Is there any comparison for this race historically, Steve, that you can relate it to that people who are maybe new to Nashville or new to the process, new to voting, whatever, don't, that, is there any comparison at all? And what does it tell us about our state of, of politics in general in, in Nashville? I mean, it's a little like 2015 in the sense that you don't have an incumbent, you have a big field, you have some people that are, that are self-financed, uh, you have some people that are doing this on a shoestring. But quite frankly, the compressed nature of this, I mean, in, in 2015, everybody knew Carl Dean was, was limited. So Megan Barry got in the race 18 months, two years ahead of time. You know, Charles Robert Bone was, was in the race the fall before. And, and you had a lot of other candidates that were out there making the rounds. Bill People, Freeman. Yeah, Bill Freeman, Bill Freeman got in kind of relatively late in that race. And by relatively, I mean, I think it was January. And so you had a fully formed field for eight months or seven months. And 
you get a chance to evaluate things in, in that kind of time. We're going to do this in three months because, uh, you know, Heidi Campbell got in late. Vivian Wilhoyt got in late. You know, Jeff Yarbrough got, you know, really got up and running after the session was o- the session was over. So that's the end of April, 1st of May. So, you know, we're only just now beginning to spend the amount of time that, that we usually have spent months with these candidates. I think some of it's self-inflicted in as much as there's been a hundred forums <laughs> and their candidates are going to them, every, you know, four nights out of the week. And instead of using their time wisely building an army to support their campaigns. It, Jamie, is there, you mentioned the candidates themselves. Is there part of this wide ranging collection of people? Is it because there is not as deep a bench of people to, to take the spot? Is it because there's too many qualified people? What, what does it say that the fact that we have such a wide ranging collection of candidates, what does it say about the pool itself in general? The job isn't very attractive to most people. Say that's absolutely fair. I mean, it, it is a big job, but I think that if you look at this electorate, and I wrote about this last year when I, when I was looking at John Cooper's chances for reelection, the city has been upside down in terms of right track, wrong track for two years now. And, and, and some of that is what every big city mayor in the country is dealing with in the sense that if you were a mayor during COVID, there is a lot of animosity out there. And some of it's your fault and some of it's not necessarily your fault. And some mayors that, that did really well during COVID, you know, are, are banged up and, and others aren't. But John Cooper was feeling some of that. I think the natural thing, if you are a candidate looking at this race, is to, is to think, wow, that's a tough environment to want to be mayor in. You, you don't go, go further into the tough. You're talking about relationship with the state. You're talking about finances. You're talking about yeah, projects I mean, that are coming up, all that stuff. It's not like it's not like there's, uh, you know, we had a big property tax increase here three years ago. It's not like anybody's going to come in and put another big property tax increase in. So it's coming next term. I mean, there will be an increase. There has to be because of because of how the cycle is in Nashville. But th- we're not going to see one the size that we saw this this last time because that was trying that was trying to fix some long term problems. But seventeen percent had failed two successive councils. Yeah, but th- so I-, I think that anybody looking at this knows it's a really hard job. The electorate is not particularly generous right now, and. You know, do you, do you want to do you want to be a mayor and have that as your as your daily gig? Governing and campaigning are two wildly different skills. Is there a? We've had very different personalities in the mayor's office as well over the last, let's say, eight to ten years. Let's say three mayors. Let's call it very different personalities. Is there a personality type that you think is better suited? for A, the campaign, or B, the job itself. And I'm not asking you again to tell me which candidate. For example, we're gonna get into this, but Freddie O'Connell's messaging strategy has been fully formed for a long time. Is there a personality type that you think is better suited for handling the job, not the campaign part of this, but handling the job itself? Somebody has to have the guts to do things that aren't particularly popular. Hey, most people would click yes on this to answer some of the problems that we're facing and to be able to sell it. I mean, because, because any mayor is going to have to, even if they have the guts to do something, they have to be able to sell it to, to a city and, and be able to function. You can't just like do something wildly unpopular and then, and then just kind of let it sit there. You're going to have to be more of a salesman, I think now than you've ever had to be. And all roads lead to more housing. The yeah. lack of housing is causing most of our downstream problems. Look at public schools. Well, most of the principals and some of the teachers, they don't live in this county. The reason they don't live in this county is because they can't afford to live here. Right. We have to have more housing on a massive scale. And the current political structure is not going to reward that. There's also an element of, Steve, you're talking about selling it to the public, but there is an element of like 
how do you actually have a conversation with someone you disagree with in a hallway where no one's watching and having to do a, a difficult thing to accomplish a goal? Because what plays on social media and what gets the attention of the voting public is not the thing that's actually happening in those conversations. It is compromises. It's sacrifices. It's working with people you don't like, don't agree with. I know that's all people understand that's governing. There's certainly a national apathy towards both parties suck apprehension towards the process, but somebody has to be able to do all the, they're going to have to work with everybody and anybody to get it, to get something accomplished. And that's the governing side of this, not the campaigning side of this. Agreed. (laughs) All right. Uh, On, on the, uh, the election mega cast preview mayoral forum debate here, Steve, I have one, one more question for both of you before we get into the candidates. And that is Jamie's sort of already led me down this path with housing as all paths lead to housing. Is there one issue that you think will dictate this race? Or do you think most people are single party or single issue voters, but they're, they're different from area to area, person to person. Do you think there's one issue that is going to decide the race? It's interesting. If you look at the, if you look at the Vanderbilt poll back in the spring, (coughs) easy. If you look at the Vanderbilt poll back in the spring, you okay over there? One of the things I think that's really interesting in it, and I don't, I don't like to look at that poll a lot for prescription in the sense of... Or accuracy. Look at it in terms of direction. 70, like 72% of the people in that poll put education as the highest, as, as the most important issue to them in this, uh, in this race. It's a, it's a hard thing for a mayor because mayor only really controls the budget lever. And so what do they, how do they, how do they come up with an effective educational strategy. Uh, every mayor says they want to be the education mayor, but the reality is is that the school board and the director of schools have a lot more effect on that than any mayor does. Some mayors have been, have been more successful. Like Bredesen, for example, leveraged you know, eight years of kind of capital spending on the, on the school system in exchange for kind of an increase in standards from the from the school board and the superintendent at the time that that's a that that's a tough thing to do it's not a magic bullet it also doesn't really work in a 30 second ad so how do you tell people yeah. exactly that you that you're going to be an education mayor when everybody that's what everybody wants and nobody's going to say the reality is you know, there are problems facing our public school system and say, here's how I'm going to address them. Yeah, there's some easy ones. Yes, we should pay teachers more, but this mayor, current mayor, has put more money in teacher funding than any mayor recently. But the root of that issue doesn't fall in the bosom of the mayor. Now, the the mayor can bring those parties in and say, hey, as they do every January, here's what we're forecasting your budget to be. Make it work here. And that is having a school board that has a policy governance structure. Nine school board districts and people complain all the time, well, my school board member's not doing what I want him or her, or now just her, to do. And they view it as, the majority of the school board anyway, they view it as, hey, we have one employee to manage, the director of schools, and that's it. And that system, I think, over time, at least in Nashville, has proved proved to be a failure and it's got to change so it sounds like people say according to a poll at some point education but you say housing jamie that that that's well well the beginning afford- of it some people i know plenty of people that will vote on transportation i mean <laughs> like, affordability uh, affordability is is the number one issue behind most people's as like an umbrella term yeah and and the the key driver in affordability is housing because when somebody says affordable housing, we need more affordable housing. I heard a candidate say that. That's cop-out language to me. You know, the more recent terminology I've heard is, hey, we need more housing along the pikes, you know, Gallatin Pike. Oh, you want to put more humans on the most traffic corridor in Davidson County without transit, without walkability, without these kinds of things? It's like, hey, we want affordable housing over there. We don't want it here, and it has to be 
everywhere. There's an example right over here at 10th and Fallen Metro Historic Zoning Commission voted down something that was going to be, oh my God, three stories high. It was going to have commercial. Oh my God. It was going to have commercial on the bottom, residential on the top. Oh my God. It was going to be three whole stories. Three whole stories on 10th and Russell. Oh my God. Cannot have that. So now it's going to be a lot less housing and it's going to be short term rentals. But hey, 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 hey. Metro Historic Zoning Commission, the Anti-Housing Zoning Commission. I, I will I will point out, I, I the term affordable housing has also been weaponized, right? The term affordable housing is something that I think some people hear and automatically have assumptions about what that means, the type of person that's living there, the kind of activity that's happening there. I moved into the Encore downtown into in 2009. The only way I could afford to buy that was that I was a low-income buyer and I bought into affordable housing. I say that to some of my friends sometimes, and their minds are, are blown because that's not what they were raised to believe affordable housing is. That term has been weaponized clearly. So I don't know if we need a new t- branded term for it, but the, the crisis is here. And I think the mayor, whoever the mayor is going to be, it sounds like that is the tip of the spear here is what we're saying. Yeah, I, I think so. And, and when we talk about just affordable housing, the easy thing to look at is home prices because home prices are through the roof. The median home price here has jumped astronomically, particularly over the last four to five years. But, I mean, it, it affects renters on almost the exact same parallel. Uh, rents, you know, th- there was there was one study here that back in March, you know, median rent was like 2200 bucks for a two-bedroom apartment here in town. That is a significant chunk out of people's uh, out of people's income and when you start to look at, at there's there's a term that uh this term that experts use called stressed in, in terms of if you are using more than 30 percent of your uh of your income towards uh towards housing then you have a problem because then you're, you're starting to make trade-offs with food with transit with with all sorts of other things i mean there's a lawsuit in federal court filed in the middle district against some what I'd call institutional owners of multifamily properties and lawsuits all across the country that are challenging how landlords have been using websites to artificially inflate rents. Algorithmically. Algor- uh, there you go, IT. Thank you. <laughs> uh, algorithmically uh, enhanced uh, rents. And and so that's like a that can be a really interesting thing if you're like trying to get a hotel room at the last minute. But for what it means for a rental market and to to have that to have rents in, in Nashville's case basically skewing up, up, up uh, the real problem. No, it's tremendous news. We have algorithms deciding our social media content. We have algorithms running our stock market. We might as well have algorithms running our, our house prices as well. Just wonderful. Uh, what is the most meaningless issue in this race? What's the, the thing that voters that might register with voters, but that in your minds is largely irrelevant gun violence and and i don't mean that in the sense of of crime uh but i do mean that in the sense of in the wake of the covenant uh shooting i saw gun violence in a couple of polls shoot to the top and it's not a meaningless issue uh there will be a special session of some length maybe very short length here in august on these issues i have the over and under at 48 hours (laughs) <laughs> and and, and the but, line. to your but, point, but, but, meaningless but, but, is not meaningless, not important. Meaningless in that it will not decide the mayoral race. Well, no, meaningless in this uh, meaningless for me in the sense that the mayor can do almost nothing okay. to right. to affect uh, to affect the issue. All right, you want to get into some names, boys? Let's go. You want to do that? So I guess I need to know where your tiers are and who's on the bottom tier. Not to be disrespectful here, but who are the names in this very large and crowded field that? we are not going to spend a lot of time on because it does not feel like they are capable of it's this is going to be a runoff we should be very clear to people this is going to be a runoff there are going to be two candidates after august 3rd steve i've heard you say this there's a good chance we go into august 3rd without knowing who the top two candidates are which if you like studying horse races makes for incredible drama i know i have no idea who i'll be voting for probably until august 3rd but when this you may look, be an endorsement of ranked choice voting, <laughs> I mean, look, which man, is currently not allowed in the state of Tennessee. Ranked choice is that Alaska, right? Uh, Maine. Maine. Maine and Alaska. You know, oh. the, I would 
I would love to have ranked choice voting in the, you know, our, how many runoffs or like weird elections have we had here that, that we, that we could have avoided with just ranked choice voting here over the last five years. You want to quickly explain you, you put multiple candidates on and then they, that's, and you, and you rank them one through, yeah. I think you rank in Alaska. I think you rank the top three. Or so, top essentially four. it's like a, essentially it's like a caucus you, because you get, if, if, no one gets any first place votes, but they're second place on everybody's ballot. They're going to make and the, they could have the a far, chance to win. The, the far left and the far right hate it because you know what happens? Stuff tends stuff tends towards the middle. Uh, and because our country what, is that way. That's what and that's what happened in Alaska. And, well, I'm stuck in the middle, y'all. You know. Yeah, I think but there's a I, rock and roll song from the '70s about maybe. that somehow. Who's the Joker? <laughs> Couldn't carry a tune in a suitcase, Braden. I don't know. All right, so who's on the who's on that bottom tier? Um, Natasha Brooks, Fran Bush, Bernie Cox, Stephanie Johnson. Are those the names? Who else is? Yeah, I mean, I think that those those are the the ones that are uh, that I I would be su- surprised if anybody in that group got more than three four percent. And what percent do you need to have to get to the runoff? Twenty. Let's see. In twenty fifteen, you had to get twenty two percent to get to the runoff, and I think that's I think that's probably the ballpark of what you're going to need now. If somebody gets thirty, I'd be stunned. Is that sixteen thousand votes? I mean, how many? How many if we have a, I mean, I studied let, words. Let's let's study. It. Let's assume that. Uh, let's assume maybe we, there's a hundred thousand voters here for just a random, just a random number. That's that's like we could have that. We had two fifty in the presidential. So let's say there's a hundred thousand voters, and I don't know if that's going to be super accurate, but for our purposes, twenty. How do you come up with twenty two thousand voters? And, and and so like and and to that point, like in that bottom tier, I mean, Natisha Brooks got three hundred and eighty five votes in the Republican primary for the fifth district race. Uh, last There's another year, fifth district candidate in here la- last year, and you can't get out of the Republican primary in a in Davidson County. I don't I don't think you're gonna yeah, I don't yeah. think you're gonna get you know. 20% of the rest of the electorate. First round of the 2015 election, Megan Berry, 24,553 votes. That's 23.5%. David Fox, 23,000 votes, 754, 23%. So basically within a half a percentage point there. But you needed to get to 23% or 24,000-ish votes, give or take. I think now, you know, you get to, you get to 17,000 votes, 16 more likely you're going to get in the runoff Yeah, with this many higher volume of candidates yeah so so winner gets winner breaks 20 and number two is in the high teens i think that's reasonable do you know how many how much money has been spent so far by these campaigns we'll know we'll know exactly how much here <laughs> in two weeks when the campaign disclosures are due does the period end june 30 or june 15 period ends june 30 disclosures are out on july uh, they're as late as july 10th so so the week before early voting, we'll know exactly how much. Who's who's on the top tier in your mind? Is there eight? Is it six? Is it three? Is it two? What's the top tier look like for both you guys? With forty-one to forty-five percent undecided, I think you have to say that number's eight um, because anything can happen. So that's Matt Wilshire, Jim Gingrich, Freddie O'Connell, Heidi Campbell, Vivian Wilhoyt. Sharon Hurt, Jeff Yarborough, and Alice Raleigh. All right. Rowley. Rowley. Sorry. Oh, uh, Steve but, did it first. Uh, I thought I was going to be the one who screwed it up. You've been screwing it up here right. for the last hour, and so now That's, I have it in my head. There's no evidence of that. All right, let's start with Alice Rowley then. This is a Haslam aide, Lamar Alexander aide, Republican. There is a path, in theory, if a Republican or a conservative were to coalesce the conservative vote into that that 16,000 or 17,000 you're talking about, in theory, that person could get into a runoff. I don't think that would end particularly well, but in theory, it could happen. Strengths and weaknesses, positives, negatives. Who is Alice Rowley? I think in 2015, David Fox set the blueprint for a conservative candidate to make the runoff. And how he did that was through aggressive door-knocking campaign long before he started crafting a message of what his campaign would be. And he had those people in the field filling out 
door-to-door questionnaires, basically. Like, hey, what are the issues that are important to you? And then he, once he collected all that data, then he crafted his campaign message, which got him to the runoff. And, you know, Bill Freeman was a candidate that had Republican support, but in a crowded field in that race, which was true all across the country, the Republicans went home to their preferred candidate, the Democrats went home to their preferred candidate, and that led us to Megan Berry versus David Fox, a.k.a. David Fox, you have no chance, in Davidson County. And so I think Rowley, who is being endorsed by David Fox, or at least I saw a picture in his backyard. He's a a treasurer. Looking lost, like he he was hoping he had won the mayor's race, but not (laughs) RIP David's campaign. So she was would be most inclined to do that, but the fact that no one has coalesced around her so far tells me that she's going to have a lot of trouble making it to the runoff. So I think there's two important things here that Jamie brings up. One is that in 2015, the two candidates that had the best ground game made the runoff. You've got to go out and, in a local election, much more so than in a national election or even a statewide election. You have to go out and find your voters, identify them, and, and get them to the polls. Ground game wins local races. The other thing that I think is, is really important here is that there, is, there are splits within the Republican Party. And so what does it mean to be a Republican? And post-Trump, you know, pollsters have begun to measure when they, when they poll, are you a MAGA Republican? Or are, you a, are, you, are you a traditional Republican? Are you a, you know, a taxes and regulation kind of Republican, or are you a culture war? Paul Ryan Republican. Yeah, yeah. a Paul Ryan Republican versus a Trump Republican. And Alice Rowley, who has been a member of the Haslam administration and who is, uh, you know, ran one of Lamar's campaigns and speaks very highly of, of Senator Alexander and, and speaks often about him, you know, those don't necessarily resonate in the way in the Republican Party the way that it, that it used yeah. to. And, I, and I'm really interested that th- this is going to be really interesting to find out how many of those voters she can get to the polls and put that whole coalition together. Because pre-Trump, I, I think David Fox was was able was really successful in getting all those folks to yeah. the polls. Uh, Jamie, you, th- you your theory is that there are six candidates, maybe above everybody else. I assume that that uh, Rowley is beneath that line. Who is the other name? Is it Vivian Wilhoyt that is beneath that line? Of course, the Davidson County property assessor, former council member. Who is the other name that is beneath that line? I'm going to keep it with Rowley and Gingrich, the carpetbagger. Okay. Okay. You know, flies in from out of town with his company, soon relocates, gets some tax incentives from the state of Tennessee, and quickly retires. I don't think he could win a straw poll among employees of Alliance Bernstein. <laughs> I think the carpet bagging thing is, is a huge factor for people. I mean, he the, has run a large business, which is the only real qualification he has, right, Steve? I mean, uh, he did, a, he, he did a, a good job as COO of Alliance Bernstein. And I think that if you're going to put 2 to $3 million into a race, you cannot ignore that person's chances. Now, that having been said... I agree with that. But, that, that, but the, that having been said, I mean, Phil Bredesen, first time he ran for mayor, got called a lot of the same things that Jim Gingrich is being called. And he and ran for mayor three times and lost the first two, right? Ran ran twice, lost lost the first one. Lost to lost to Bill Boner. So and, are you saying he's gonna run in twenty twenty seven? Might I'm not, be a more legitimate candidate. I, I'm if saying if in twenty twenty seven he would have he would have a better chance because he's been here longer. I mean Bredesen was called a carpetbagger and, and and couldn't get out, couldn't get out of the out of the the shoot there in his first time running for mayor. If he spent three quarters of a million dollars already, according to the PPP polling, do you have a favorable or unfavorable opinion of Jim Gingrich? Not sure. Seventy five percent, three quarters of the population does not know who he is. Those that do, however, at a clip of fifteen percent to eleven percent, do not like him. He came to a public hearing at the Metro Council trying to weigh in on the Titans debate to inflate through earned media, let's call it, which did not happen. And now he's been criticizing what he calls out-of-town developers. Well, my God, 
The man lives in a condo on the west part of town. Built by. That was built by, guess what? Out of town developer. Steve, you say all local elections are won by great ground games. Certainly, communication strategies are a small part of that, and then money is a huge part of that. Of these eight or six, however you guys want to define it, those three elements, money, ground game, messaging strategy, who, who, who is doing each of those the best? Who, who, I mean, obviously Gingrich has as much money as anybody else. Who is in the same category at the top of the money list to stay active and up on TV, up on digital for the entirety of the race? I mean, I, I think that of the candidates that are out there, fundraising-wise, it's not even a, it's not even, there's not even a close second. Matt Wilshire has raised a significant chunk of money and is very good at raising money. I think Freddie O'Connell has been has played has used sort of like his knowledge of Metro to be effective in reaching the people that have paid attention so far and finding kind of his voters. You know, as as far as comm strategy, I don't think anybody's necessarily distinguished themselves yet. And well, at least he's defined himself. Freddie has Freddie through, through Fre- his comm strategy. Freddie Freddie has, and and Freddie's been you know Freddie's been smart about. You know, he made fun of you put out, put an ad out on social media, and you can find it on YouTube, making fun of the fact that he's not on the air yet. They they made this kind of fake campaign ad. The, the problem with that is that the the reach of that is is so limited. It's limited to people like you and I who are paying attention or happen to be on, uh, as Jamie describes it, Elon Sewer. And so, with the, that's that's of limited utility when you're trying to, you know, put together twenty thousand votes in a in a metro election. I'm going, to, I'm going to try to answer that, Braden. But in, in order to win a campaign, you got to have an army of loyal soldiers. And I think Freddie has, has built that the best so far. I think his messaging is good. His problem, Steve alludes to, is expanding that beyond his army to get him to the runoff. And in order to do that, he needs money. Now, I also think he's been the biggest beneficiary of a low information, limited participation from the public because he doesn't have money. If I was Gingrich or Yarbrough running their camp, or excuse me, Wilshire running their campaigns with all their money, like Wilshire especially, he had a lead on the field. He should have been out defining who he was. Instead, he was putting stupid videos together in 90-second to two-minute clips and sending them out via email instead of being on the radio, airwaves, that kind of deal. That would have been the good place to use the scattershot media, start defining who he was, and he didn't do it. You know, And Gingrich is now trying to define who he was. Well, He's kind of got that out of order. He could have been doing that a long time that, ago. The ad that's on the air right now with his mom is a great ad. I mean, it's it's effective. Uh, the imagery is is good, and you you walk out of that thinking, uh, Jim Gingrich is uh, Ging, this humanizes Jim Gingrich. The, the The problem is is that as Jamie alludes to it, you usually do that in reverse. You usually you do those those introduction and human in humanizing sort of pieces, and then you get into kind of the policy and, and issue sort of pieces of it. And there's a, there's a chance that it doesn't work with people that have already been introduced to him through his other ads that you can't kind of retcon the, 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 the yeah. human part back onto him. You, you create the identity, define yourself, and then push it out <laughs> to all the people with all the extra money. So Gingrich and Wilshire at the top of the list from a money standpoint, it sounds like O'Connell at the top of the list from a messaging and ground game standpoint. Where does that leave everybody else? And I, I would say, you know, Yarbrough, Hurt, Will Hoyt, and Campbell, they haven't really started getting their message out because they've been distracted, Yarbrough and Campbell, because they were in the finishing session. But since then, they've been going to a forum every night, which is, I, I would submit to you, is a waste of time at this point. Like whatever has been needed to be asked has been asked and you don't need to go to another one and they should be spending that time that is in limited supply and eroding by the hour in the day 
to doing something effective, i.e. getting on the phone, calling voters, talking to them, finding out what's going on in their lives, in their world. Because what I'm sensing is that a lot of these candidates are out of touch with what's really going on in people's day-to-day lives. And, and of those, of those that Jamie mentioned, you know, three of them got into the campaign late. It takes 60 to 90 days to get a, to get a full campaign up and running and humming. And if you get into this at, you know, in April, it, they're just now building out the kind of like all the pieces that they need, i.e. to, to do to do an effective ground game, to, to kind of find and reach their voters through any number of methods. Uh, you know, these things take time and the compressed nature of this race is, is going to mean, I, I think you're right. We're not, we're going to go into August 3rd, maybe having an idea of, of, of one person, but we might not know for sure until, you know, after 10 o'clock on election day, who the, uh, who the, the other person is. In the Cause room. I think a lot of people are going to be going to the polls with no idea who they're going to vote yep. for. <laughs> and like as a candidate, that is certainly what you do not want. You have to identify your voters. You know, uh, uh, every campaign that's competent knows their IDs, and they're going to push, pull, and drag them to the polls. So if I ever ask the candidate how many IDs you got, and they don't know, it's like, well, I know one thing's for sure: you are not going to win. Yeah, and, yeah. And, you have to track. It. And that's why you know, even though Alice Rowley may not have the <laughs> may not have the the highest ceiling ultimately here. I mean, she still has a lane because it's going to be her easier for her to identify her voters than it is for yeah. Yarbrough, Campbell, O'Connell, and all these people that are fighting over a, like a, a certain segment of the uh, of the electorate. And Fr- Freddie has earned media opportunities by being a council member. Yarbrough had that while he was in the state senate. Campbell had that while she was in the state Senate. And, and what any poll right now recognizes is that is that Campbell has a lot uh, earned a lot of media last year in that fifth district race. And so she comes in an advantage. I mean, the, the that PPP poll, you know, basically it, and she had she had not put much into it, but showed her as, as a as a strong candidate. And, and the, the Fred Yang poll that the racetrack guys put out said it said it as well that's based largely off of last year i mean people are just now getting to learn who heidi campbell is as a mayoral candidate she likes to run for jobs instead of maybe doing the ones she has competently Uh, i I am a uh, early voter in almost every every election special mayoral federal local uh, this is the first time i can remember planning strategically to go in to, to not vote early which is to your point, Steve, like I, I am, I need as much possible time with as much possible information to make a decision for whatever I want. Because right now there's like five or six of these people I, w- I could see myself tracking or tacking towards at some point during this process. Have you received any mail I, I've from got, a campaign? Uh, in the mailbox or in, in the mailbox? I was going to say not in the, I don't think I've got anything in the mailbox yet. I've certainly gotten plenty of text messages uh, from two campaigns. The rest of the other ones are not up on the cell phone yet, uh, as they say in, they're gonna find in the wire. <laughs> yes, they're going to get there. Uh, it'll get passed along, that's for sure. On, no mail received so far, but one candidate's campaign canvassed our home. Who was it? One. I have not had a canvas either. Freddie O'Connell's campaign. Yeah. I, I, and you live in East Nashville. And I, know, I do. I, I, know they have, I know they have been hitting East Nashville hard. Although... Uh, they <laughs> that's the I, army you're talking about though but right uh, and, to, and to that point uh <laughs> ward baker who is a republican strategist sponsor of that little forum sponsor yeah. sponsor of the uh banner post uh scene forum here the other night i was told that freddie o'connell's people looks like he brought a bunch of his people there he did i was told that I freddie o'connell's pictures. folks had <laughs> knocked on ward baker's door which might not be the most effective use of identifying your voters, but it, 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 it certainly does go to show that, that O'Connell's people have been out there doing the work. Well, here, here's the free tip for winning these races. A lot of people want to scatter shot all across the county and go to, go to Hermitage, you know, go to southeastern part of the county, 
go to Bellevue. Hermitage and Bellevue, you probably only need to spend any time over there is if you're you know there's Republican support for you. Forest Hills, Oak Hill doesn't exactly vote Democrat. You know, see the twenty fifteen campaign, Bill Freeman did not win his home council district because it's Forest Hills and they went for, you guessed it, the Republican David Fox. So I wouldn't spend much time trying to scatter shot all across the county. Go where you're strong and try to run up the score yeah. in those precincts. That's how you win. Because I had a lot of times, I, I worked on the Freeman campaign in 2015. It's like, hey, uh, I was going to vote. You know, I'm with Bill, but I voted for X, Y, and Z because I knew Bill would make the runoff or whatever. No, to get to the runoff, right? find out where your strengths are and run up the score. Saturate it. Which it sounds like, Steve, to your point about O'Connell, that's what, what he's trying to do over here, uh, as I, I also uh, admit. Over here in admitted, the pe- admittedly in, in, in the People's Republic. Uh, li- those are East Nashville. Live in East Nashville as well. Is it good that we've gone uh, – is it good for Sharon Hurt that we've gone almost 40 minutes here and haven't – it can't be a positive. I mean, Sharon um, has run – chances. Sharon has run two countywide races and won both of them. So she has a base. She lives in Bellevue. Got connections in North Nashville. I wouldn't discount her because of that, but she has, you know, the same problem Freddie does. She has to raise a massive amount of money to let other people know she's running. And, you know, correspondingly, that also applies to Vivian Wilhoyt, who's also won a countywide race for property assessor, which I know property assessor, you might not think that's a big deal, but she did, you know, go against a, an entrenched incumbent and beat him, you know, with a long standing name in the community. In Hurt and Will Hoyt, I'm interested in this. There's going to be a split in the black vote and, and not kind of like how you would, how you would think of it. Somebody told me this uh, years ago and, and I've, and I've tried to always keep this in mind. When you talk about the black vote in Nashville, it's not a monolith. Uh, there, there are all there are all sorts of different parts of it, and I think Sharon's pulling from one part of it, which is you know, which is North Nashville and this sort of traditional base, and Vivian is pulling from you know the southeast portion of the county and that that base of black voters down there. It make it, it creates an interesting dynamic because you know not only was not only was Vivian elected countywide, I mean she was elected twice as as council member down there. In, in the district and, and she has a lot of she has a lot of support and she's going to pull a lot of votes from down there the interesting thing to me with with those two candidates is like there's going to be a there's going to be a split in in the black vote because of it but it, but largely beca- I think because of region because uh, of regionalism here and that's going to that's going to dilute it much more than if you only had a single black candidate who could kind of pull all of those pull all those together and then use that as a base to jump off into into kind of other blocks. I, I would mean, Sharon Hurts treasure is just down the road from this fair office. Abby Rubenfell. Yep. On South Eleventh Street. I would argue it's important to remember that nobody no no cross section of voting population, race, gender, religion, anything is a monolith. I, well, you started out by asking us what's the single issue that's going to determine these elections because <laughs> everybody's a single issue voter. Well, I, but I think we're all. But that's a great point. But I think we are all extremely complicated people, and that the same two people might fit into the same demographic boxes and have very different single issues. Right? I mean, that's what Steve's saying here, that we can all we can look or walk or talk or act or, and think a certain way, but that. We have very different single issues, which is leading, which is going to lead me to sort of. I want to go rapid fire here with each one of these. Sound like you just hit reverse on the racetracks, dude. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, me? I, I only go. I only go forwards. I, I think um, into the wall. Yeah, yeah. Left hand turns on. Yeah, I'm more of a road track guy myself. Uh, nobody understands these references. Uh, so, <laughs> Freddie Freddie O'Connell. If you are, what is, I want to know what their each of these candidates' single issue is. Right, like what is the thing that separates them? What is the issue that they can drive home that says, "I, I am the candidate. I am the one that you should vote for." Let, I, we can start with Freddie if you want, but let, if you're a single issue voter and you're voting for Freddie O'Connell, what is the issue? I think if you are a voter who's voting on transit, Freddie's the first person you're listening to. 
he has a depth of knowledge about it and speaks about it in with a level of sophistication that nobody else in this race does. Now, that's part of he used to be on the MTA board. It's his pet issue. If you've listened to Freddie more than you know more than once, you probably excuse heard, me, Steve. We go. Uh, I'm sorry, we go. If you've listened to Freddie more than once, you have heard a story that he tells about about how they got rid of a car and he started using transit, and that's how they saved money as the down payment on the house they live in right now up in Salem Town. And you know, his message is that affordability and transit are inexplicably linked. If you have a, a functional transit system that allows people to do more than yeah. – just randomly get on a bus uh, that you can plan your life around it, that you can, that you can uh, use it for work and play and, and, and whatever else. And, and, you know, and walkability gets into this as well. But like these, li- these issues are, are all inextricably linked. If you're like a transit voter, that's uh, O'Connell is the person that, that you're, that you're listening to. Are you saying it's all connected, Steve? All connected. Wow. Carl Dean, take a bow. <clears throat> uh, Matt Wilcher. What is if if he is clearly your guy? What is and your? Do single, I get to weigh in on that? Yeah, go all? for it. You know, I I would say that MTA slash WeGo emphasis is kind of a double edged sword, and in as much as hey, well, what'd you do while you're there? It certainly hasn't got better. Yeah, you know, and that transit referendum, how'd that go? Perhaps ill conceived on the timing of when the election should be talk about getting things in my mailbox um matt matt wilcher single issue voter what why is he what is he doing better than everybody else i mean i, I think i think besides, matt, ra- besides raising money i think matt is matt is trying to tap into the the kind of competence of metro government make sure make sure the trash gets picked up make sure your neighborhood school is better do the basics uh, do do the basics. Well, I mean, matter of fact, I think that's one of his the, one of the slogans in his ad is "back to basics." If that resonates with you, if that uh, of you know having a competent city government, uh, then then that's that's you know, you're going to take a look at Matt. I know simple and clean uh, slogans are effective, but I'm not sure how I feel about that one. Back to basics. Very creative <laughs> in the corporate bullshit generator world. I don't know. And I think that's his problem. Yeah. I have no idea what yeah. Matt Wilshire's message is, what his campaign is. I mean, what we'll, he's going to do. We'll, I have no idea. Wilshire's, Wilshire's hope is that. And if, if we want disclosure, Braden, I've contributed money to three campaigns for mayor O'Connell, Wilshire, and Yarbrough. And I'm not done, other candidates. <laughs> If you're listening, I'm not done. It's just those are the ones that got to me the you quickest. Throw out a phone number here. No. <laughs> no, 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 Steve. Thank you. But but you know, Wilshire's Wilshire's argument is that is that he has spent time in the private sector as an investment banker. He spent time doing ECD work and uh, doing housing work for the city, and that. You know, and, and Freddie makes this argument as well. You know, we need a mayor who's ready on day one, and that that his experience kind of within metro government matters. It's the intersection of business and and governing that he needs to put himself at, but he has not created that clearly defined location. Right? right. Is that what we're getting at? Um, Here's the way I'm trying to put this: about you know, Matt used to work for MDHA right over here in East Nashville, and I'm sure he talks about. During that time, he brought affordable housing development projects to town. We are so single-family dominant in Davidson County relative to zoning. I started having a conversation with some folks yesterday. Let's put $1 billion, $1 billion in the budget and give it to the Barnes Affordable Housing Trust Fund to go build. What can you build? What can, what can these builders build that apply in this pool? Well, guess what, Braden? They're not building multifamily. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's outside their competency. So when they say, oh, we need to give more money to the Barnes Affordable Housing Trust Fund, well, what you're really saying is let's build more single-family housing. So $1 billion with a B at $250,000 per 
I'm just going to build you 4,000 units. That will do nothing yeah. to solve the housing crisis. And I don't, affordable housing was the phrase that pays in 2015. I would submit to you now, it's just housing now. We have to have it now. Let me, All of it. Like immediately is what you're saying, like timing wise. Yeah. I mean, um, if we care about our future and our children, whether or not they're going to be able to live here. Like, I'm not worried about me. I'm not worried about you, Steve. I'm not worried about you, Braden. You got your house. Everything's fine. But our kids. Right. I know mine. Pretend they want to live here. No, I, I go back and going back to the my purchase of my first home. We, me and my buddies were walking around downtown a couple like about a year ago looking up at our old house and asking we were we put, we bought those houses at 28 this is not a housing pod we'll, we have plenty of those for you Jamie but I, I think at I think I bought it at 28 years old where, where does a 28 year old four years into their career how do they live and work in downtown Nashville like there's no place they, they commute from right the county outside right and and that's what we were talking about looking at each other going like how would anybody in our situation in 2008 or nine now granted that was coming right off of a giant housing dip and a, and a housing crisis in terms of um uh the economics of it all but so we walk through downtown going like how the hell did we even do that and there's no way it's even possible now for a 28 year old to move to this city and operate and function and live where where we happen to be at that time in our lives we just the, got the lucky most, essentially the, the most and and this is this is something i think will re- resonate with jamie the, the most important conversation that that these candidates have to have is over housing and kind of how rapidly we, we can build it. It was a council member who was a developer who came to them and said, I can do one of two things here. I can develop, you know, a series of $300,000 townhouses and with, with higher density, or I can develop, you know, $1 million houses on, on big plots of land. And the response from the neighborhood was, I don't want that density near me. Right. And yep. and that the the problem is is that we are we are so underwater on the number of units that we need both uh, both rental and to own we have to do something different. So so who is the single issue candidate that's got housing who's the most expertise and the most qualified to handle that issue? If if my if I'm a voter who's my my number one issue is housing, who's the person most qualified to handle that issue? There's an institutional answer that has to be given first. And I talked about it earlier. The political structure is built on a 1998 zoning code. January 1, 1998 is when it became effective. It took two years to come in place. And the the fathers of that document, self-proclaimed, do not want it. They designed a zoning system for single-family housing. They designed... Metro Historic Zoning Commission to protect the incumbent. Basically, NIMBYism is baked into our zoning code by design. That And until that thing is shredded, flushed, disposed of, we're, not, we're never going to get there. So we're, I don't think any candidate is going to hit those marks because the political structure is built on that it is a post-election conversation not a pre-election conversation because you cannot amass the amount of votes necessary to to radically change the housing equation in nashville by saying we're going to we're going to increase the density in, density in the city you said you go over to historic edgefield it's not a popular thing to say is what you're you saying. go over here to historic edgefield to our west and say that we're going to get rid of your historic zoning designation and we're going to add density all throughout the neighborhood. I swear to God, they will poke you in the eye with the hot stick right there on the spot. <laughs> I think my, my, my wife would have been one of them. I think she's finally coming around after spending some time with you, Jamie. Um, so what about uh, Jeff Yarbrough? We haven't talked a lot about him. Uh, this is a guy who's won some elections. He's, he's been a part of this procedural stuff is he have the qualifications understanding how it all works understanding the underbelly of it all there are certain people that all have different qualifications in this race but where is jeff yarborough in all of this in terms of what issue he brings to the table and what skills he brings to the table are you going to go back to the vanderbilt poll first steve uh i'm not going to go back to the vanderbilt poll 
You're welcome. That was a winning issue earlier for you. Yeah, I can tell. Like. Uh, I mean, Yarbrough is a. I mean, Yarbrough is a known commodity. I mean, he, he's been a state senator now uh, for multiple terms. Uh, people are uh, people are familiar with him. He uh, the, the interesting thing with both he and Campbell when you listen to them is they are they are getting up to speed on on the metro sort of the metro specific pieces of this and kind of what a mayor is going to have to do. And I, I have noticed a, both of them are smart people. Both of them are on a learning curve and both of them, I, I've heard their, their responses sort of improve here over the last couple of months. Now, can you, can they turn that into, you know, transmit that to a, a, an effective campaign and, and, and find the voters that they want? Maybe. I thought this was a Yarbrough question. <laughs> to, but to your, but to Technic, your, technically it was, but I see the parallels. There are, the, I mean, there are parallels there, and, and, and I think that uh, you know what what Jeff's campaign is going to have to do is 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 dig in on is dig in on the traditional Democratic base that he has successfully used to to be a state senator. That's not an issue specific sort of thing. Well, I think he has to have an understanding of the relationship and the dynamic between the state of Tennessee and Davidson County, notably the metropolitan government, which according to the Tennessee journal out today from Eric Shelzig headline Lee governor, Bill Lee, presumably fight between legislature and Nashville counterproductive. (laughs) I think that's newsworthy. That struck me. I mentioned it to y'all when it popped up on my email, I haven't heard that before. I haven't read the story yet, but the headline got my attention that, yeah, you know, eventually if we're throwing stones back at each other all the time, we're all going to be blind. Seemed like there's some biblical metaphor there, but I don't know. And can, can those candidates, can candidate Yarbrough smooth those waters, those relationships? Cause I think in some poll, it might've been the Vanderbilt poll that, at the top of the list of concerns for people is the relationship between metropolitan government and the state. I, that's top of the list for me. It, at some point, it has to stop. And where can we figure things out and work together? And, you know, this is both sides are responsible for the problem. That's both sides-ism I agree with. But, like, scoring points on Twitter – how many likes, retweets you get, that's fueling a lot of rhetoric out of our Metro Council. I think one thing that has to be recognized is that the state of Tennessee and the Metropolitan Government of National Davis County are in an asymmetrical relationship. Very much. Ultimately, if the comptroller of the Treasury of the state of Tennessee, now Jason Mumpower, but formerly Justin Wilson, he actually came to a council meeting and advised those assembled council members that we can't, we meaning my office can take over your finance department and run your government. I guess everybody just ignored that. We increased property taxes 34% and said to hell with that sense, you know, can Jeff Yarbrough create a message that threads that needle? Because, you know, I've seen in other publications about races, like, Oh, I'm the pragmatic candidate. Now I'm the fight like hell candidate as got it sucked all the air out of the room relative to the Tennessee three. Like, what are we going to do? We're going to fight like hell. We're going to get shit done. You know, I think people would say I'm a fighter. I don't back down for a fight jockey for fights sometimes, but like in the end of the day, we're in an asymmetrical relationship and we still have to get shit done. Business has to get done. And are we doing that? And if you are broke and, craft a message around that i think he's gonna hit an inside straight Braden. but do you think do you think any candidate can can credibly say that they can do anything about that relationship i, I think bill lee gave him a if bill lee is saying hey we don't want this moving forward of, to which he's a huge part of this entire process doesn't that crack the door open though for someone to i mean i think jeff yarbrough at least has passed a bill in the tennessee general assembly I don't know if his fellow state Senate candidate can lay such a claim. By the way, I think that's the longest uh, we've gone into an episode before Jamie said a cuss word. 
Just want to <laughs> point that out. It's like an hour before I heard a bad word from you. That's very good. Good job. <laughs> um, I. That's bullshit. <laughs> I it, it, there is a lot of look. We're, we're early after July Fourth. People come back from holiday and start paying far more attention to this stuff. That's why we wanted to get you a, prim, a sort of a primer episode out there today uh, on this episode, so that we can kind of set the scene for folks. If if you guys had to guess, prognosticate here on a top tier. Do you have a sense? Is it two? Is it three? Is it five? W- what is your sense of who the the, the top candidates will be when we all are August 1st, 2nd, and 3rd trying to make up our minds. Are we not going to talk about the other state Senate candidate in Hurt and Will Hoyt? Uh, no, go for, go for it. I, I asked about Sharon Hurt. Maybe I didn't do a good job listening. You know, Heidi Campbell, she needs to get rid of the notion that she was a mayor of anything. Mayor of Oak Hill. That's a joke. Anybody that knows what's going on, you could be, if you live in Oak Hill and you're on the city council, the city council elects who the mayor's going to be. So, like city of Brentwood, they rotate every year, and most people don't ever want it. But she lives in a community, and I, I have to go back fact check here, in Oak Hill, where you have to have one acre or 1.25 acres of land to have a house on it. That is disqualifying for people like me. Like, what do you know about housing policy? Well, we know you ran from density intentionally, and that will never change. How about what did you do while you were mayor of Oak Hill to change that? Nothing. Well, those satellite communities are are within Davidson County, Forest Hills, Oak Hill, Belmead. Well, they're not changing. That's not going to be changed because of this election. So we got to exclude them from that conversation would be my point. All right, you're leaving me next to Will Hoyt. (laughs) (laughs) Former property assessor, she worked extremely hard on the Glenn Funk for DA campaign. It it would be a foolish candidate to discount her. Um, Amongst that list, she will be the hardest working retail mayoral candidate on the list. No doubt. More than two women assemble. Vivian Wilhoy will be there. Book it. You're saying working the line, talking to people. I, I, I'm saying yeah. she needs less money than Freddie. She needs less money than Wilshire, Yarbrough, Campbell, Gingrich, Rowling. She will retail politic that campaign to death. And, and anybody who anybody who meets Wilhoy has a has a hard time walking away from that, not liking her. I mean, she's she made she's 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 great in a room. She's great talking to people one on one. Does she have Does she have the same policy background uh, that that Freddie does? I, I don't think so. But man, she she I have watched her now several times. Just really, if people respond to her. Well, and and it's it's in in a really interesting sort of way. And so, like, if you're a if you're somebody that's considering making a campaign contribution, well, are you are you going to make a contribution to someone that also is responsible for assessing the value of your property? <laughs> yes, I think so. <laughs> well, it goes back to one of the very first questions we talked about, which is who has the sort of charisma to to win people over like that also the work ethic to build the army and then can all of that translate in with a messaging strategy and money into some sort of, uh, I guess we're talking 17, 18,000 votes. That, that's what we're, where we're at. And I when mean, you this say would, it, this would be her third office, but the difference is she served terms in these other offices, unlike Heidi Campbell, who's ran for three offices in a year. What, what's funny is it, it feels impossible for, like I've asked you guys multiple times now, like who's the top tier and like, it's very difficult to answer for a reason. But we look at these names and you, st- you say it like 18,000 votes. That doesn't sound all that crazy to me. It, it, it sounds like if you can hit the marks correctly with your campaign strategy, defining yourself clearly from somebody else, raise just enough money, outwork everybody, be good in the room. Uh, who, who has the combination of all those things to be there at the end is what I'm trying to get at here. I think it's all of them. I think it's to be determined. And, wow. and, the, and, the, and again, 
that's a function because uh, I don't think we've seen enough of of some of these candidates to to know the answer to that, and that's why it's going to go down to the last the last possible second. I mean, I see a lot of polls putting Campbell in there, but what I'm saying is that there's been no contrast being drawn in these campaigns, whether that's through third party packs or they're on campaigns. That's going to happen. You know, there's some easy layups. Is it the carpet bagger? It's got to. And but 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 I mean But after July fourth, right? Well, but but I mean it's a multi candidate race with a runoff. You get you get penalized for being you get penalized for being negative. Are you suggesting to me, Steve, that these other campaigns are not peddling contrasting <laughs> I think they are information I think they are about other candidates. I think they are, are you telling me that? But, oh, oh, but but you got it but you, I see, I you, see, you've see. got to be careful about it. you're not gonna see like ads <laughs> ads coming out. You can turn people away by Jim, being an asshole. Jim Gingrich a carpetbagger. They're not uh, because because you well, know that what? one's too easy. Nobody has to say that because everybody, everybody knows, knows Jim Gingrich is a carpet bagger. But That'd the, be like piling on stuff. Well, no, you're just saying being be, being a giant ass to people is, turns people off to vote for you. It's not well, that and you have to be somebody's second choice in that runoff. There's that rank rank rank. rank Got to be somebody's voting. second choice. Oh man! And, and, and so so there is a there is a natural uh, there's a natural inclination against negative campaigning in these uh in these sort of races it's the same thing in the, like in the at large race i mean there are 21 candidates for five slots and you're you're not going to hear you're not going to hear a, a single negative thing out of any of these candidates well and, let me uh, put it this way i think yarborough and wilshire have a higher ceiling than freddie and heidi freddie freddie has an issue with older voters and, and, and money and well but he he had the he had the best fundraising month he's had in the month of may i, I think his you know his numbers are going to be such that he's going to be on tv and, and he's going to have he's going to have a chance in this race but you know the the difference is freddie getting to 15 percent yeah is you can sort of you can sort of see that path but the the distance from 15 to 20 for freddie is tougher because he has less available voters to him. Funny, funny thing about uh, money and young voters. Uh, generally, they it's an opposite, right? It's the money <laughs> wasted. With, the money's with the old voters in in, in theory. Money is wasted on the young. Uh, yeah, uh, hypothetically. Um, so maybe we should give them some More housing they can housing they can afford. Um, okay, Steve, thank you so much for coming and hanging out. We do appreciate it. Um, Thanks I, for the invite, guys. Appreciate it. There, there was a, there was an illusion there, Steve, in your commentary about at large <laughs> bids and uh, council votes, and I have a feeling, Jamie, we will be discussing the size of the city council very soon on the show. So don't forget Vice Mayor Braden. Everybody else does, <laughs> except they're first in line to succession of the mayor in the event of death, incapacity, or resignation. Sure, sure, sure. Why does he put so much emphasis on resignation? I wonder why. Hmm. Uh, uh, It's happened most recently. Yes, it has. Jamie, thank you so much. Always a pleasure to see you. My name is Braden Gall. Please check out all the socials. Follow us, rate, review, subscribe, all that stuff. Tell everybody about the product. We do really appreciate it. NationalBanner.com. You can sign up there to get just pummeled with election information every single day. Good quality content from you and the guys and girls over there, Steve. So we do appreciate you coming and hanging out. Otherwise, we'll talk to you guys next week. This has been Pod Bless Nashville. Thanks. Thanks.